Are you ready? Welcome to a special episode of the Around the CFL podcast. Anthony here with you, and I am not alone. Joining me today is TSN's Farhan Lalji, and we are going to be looking back at the first 10 weeks of the 2023 CFL regular season. Farhan, welcome. Thanks for having me, Anthony. It's been a fun half year so far. So far, so good. Before we jump into that, though, I want to touch very briefly on another really important Canadian football topic. Where are things currently sitting with SFU? Oh, boy. Um, the uh, Still in an advisor's hands right now. Bob Copeland of McLaren Solutions uh, is has still got the case. We're expecting some time in around a month, you know, give or take a, a week or so. But in the middle of September, we're expecting his report. To go back to university administration, that report's going to be made public. And then after that, the university's got to make a decision on bringing back the football program. In the midst of that, the school is also trying to hire an athletic director. Um, You know, I'm very hopeful that they make the football decision without a new athletic director in place. And I say that because it's an entirely different job being a university athletic director if you're at a football school or a non-football school. So I think knowing which way they're going to go with football would put them in a better position to uh, make a decision with their athletic director and and go from there. But uh, hopefully, uh, you know, like I said, we'll get the report in the next three to five weeks, kind of in that window. And then hopefully very soon after they can make the decision to move forward with football, but um, not out of the woods, not dead, very much uh, still driving. Perfect. So with the U sports camps are all starting right now, I guess this season is probably not going to happen. Is that correct? Yeah. And we've known that for some time, they put out a, a preliminary, recommendation about not bringing back football for the 2023 season so we knew that was uh, off the table you know it's been off the table for two to three months um so we've kind of put all of our efforts into the future of and you know it's unfortunate right uh, we would have loved to have been able to have even a partial 2023 season but i can understand the university not wanting to do that without having made a full big picture decision on the football program right well we are hoping that we see sfu back on the field here very soon Okay, let's jump into our mid-season review, starting, of course, with the winless Edmonton Elks. It was Ugh. reported, <laughs> it's reported this morning, Victor Kui is out as president. Was he destined to take the fall for everything that's going on right now? Well, first of all, I reported it last night, and uh, the club just announced it uh, a mm-hmm. few moments ago, but... Um... Uh, was he destined to take the fall? No, not necessarily, right? I, I got to be honest. I am not convinced that Victor Kui's departure is the result of 0-9. I think there's a lot of things going on uh, above the football level uh, that are challenges within the organization. Now, certainly they're connected when you lose. Fans don't come. When fans don't come, uh, finances become a, a massive problem, right? So that is that is part of this. But there are other things going on there, uh, you know, in and around business operations and some challenges that are happening there. Uh, you know, what's going to happen with the future of this club from an ownership perspective, how they're being perceived in the community, uh, in the business community and, you know, at the corporate level and things of that nature. So, you know, obviously there wasn't common ground between Victor and the board and, um, you know, they made this decision. But I do believe this is this is board driven. I know it's being presented as a mutual departure, but, um, uh, you know, I, I don't think uh, I don't think Victor necessarily wanted to leave. So correct me if I'm wrong, but the Edmonton Elks ownership is very similar to that of the Green Bay Packers, correct? It's more of a community-driven program? Yeah, Edmonton, um, uh, also Saskatchewan and Winnipeg are community-owned teams. There's 
you know, community shares and a board of directors and things like that. But, you know, they, they are set up a little bit differently, right? Like from the riders perspective, they have B and C level shares, which allows them to, there's more value associated with the shares, right? Um, you know, and potential dividends and things of that nature, as opposed to, you know, in Edmonton, your shares, I think are like either $10 or $25 or something like that. It's just more kind of a token thing that allows you voting privileges. And, you know, uh, if you're a board member, you've got to come from the pool of shareholders and things like that. But, you know, when they need cash, they don't go to their shareholders, whereas opposed to places like Saskatchewan, you know, there is an ability to raise more capital through the shareholders. So, um, you know, I, I do think that they're going to look at what ownership looks like in Edmonton and that could get adjusted either in the form of a different type of community ownership and share structure, but it could also be turned into private ownership and a consortium and things of that nature. So we'll see where it goes, but, um, you know, certainly a lot of upheaval in the city of champions right now. I spoke to coach Jones recently and he was saying that they're very, um, cap strapped, I guess, because of the, uh, the non player cap and the non football cap. Is that something that's going to continue here with Quee leaving or is this done and over with right now? No, no, they are, they are capped. Like that's a league cap. So Mm -hmm. um, they are, uh, you know, which is, you know, why Chris Jones got hired to begin with, right? Because he could do both jobs and would charge them less than two different people doing those two jobs. Right. So um, they, they are up against it in terms of football ops for sure, because, you know, they're, they're still paying out, uh, Jamie Elizondo, they're still paying out um, Jason Moss, right? Like there, there, there are dollars owing for, for these guys, right? Like you're allowed, every team's allowed kind of what's called a mulligan where every five years you can have one person exempt. So when they let go of Brock Sunderland, they, um, when, when they let go of him, they, uh, that was their mulligan, right? But they still had to, you know, account for Elizondo. They still had to uh, account for Jason Moss, right? So, all of those things have an impact and they add up. And so they, yeah, they cannot spend as much as other teams can because of who they're already paying. So getting onto the field now, uh, the QB carousel that's been happening. Uh, can Trey Ford do any better right now than what we've already seen? Uh, well, like Trey Ford can't do any worse than what they were getting out of Taylor Cornelius. We can, we can tell you that with certainty, right? I mean, uh, I, I don't blame the Elks for taking a chance on Cornelius. You know, they, th- they thought they had seen enough physically. They thought enough development had occurred over the last season and a half of games played that they could, you know, take advantage of that by surrounding with some better players. And it just didn't work out, right? Like, he's just not accurate enough. It doesn't work. You don't teach accuracy at the professional level. Um, you know, in terms of, uh, in terms of Daigie, uh, I still think there's something there that I, I don't think they want to completely – um, you know, eliminate. Uh, so uh, he's given, he's looked better in relief than he did in his one start, but I think he's, uh, I, you know, I'd like to see more of him, but as far as Trey Ford, I think he earned the opportunity to start again and continue to run this out there. And look, he's a dynamic athlete. He's, he's twitchy when twitchy is different than fast, right. And, and, and elusive, like just that sudden change, which he possesses is the hardest thing to defend, right. It makes him a lot more, of a running challenge than say a guy like Dustin Crumb um, who had success running earlier. It's easier to eliminate that. But at the end of the day, Trey Ford has got to show that he can sit back and read defenses and throw the football. And I'm not saying he can't, I'm just saying he hasn't done it yet at a high level consistently enough, like in terms of a volume of throws in any given game, right? Like they need to get to a point where he can go 20 of 28 or 20 of 30. 
right? Like it can't be, uh, you know, eight of 14. He's, he's got to be able to show he can do other things besides run the ball. And he's got a live arm, right? So I'm not saying he can't throw the ball, but there's a difference between being able to physically throw it and to operate as a quarterback. Now, you know, I believe that he needs to be given time and not because he's Canadian, just because he's talented. And so I look at a guy like Vernon Adams and Vernon Adams, it's taken him time. But now he's shown he can be a really elite quarterback in this league, both with his arm and his legs and his decision-making. And I hope that at some point, Trey Ford is given that kind of time. And there's growing pains that will come with that. Trey Ford's not going to come in here and lead this team to five wins this year. It's not going to happen. The team is not good enough. And Trey Ford is not developed enough as a passer. But my hope is by the end of the year, we see enough growth. Like, just look at Dustin Crum. You know, yesterday – was the first time in now six games that he's shown us he's capable of doing those things, right? right. And, and um, you know, and we'll see if he can do it repeatedly. But this was the first time he's shown us he could do it at all and not just depend on his legs to run the, to, to win games. So, um, you know, I know it's a good story, but I was more impressed and buoyed by what I saw yesterday than what I saw in his two crumbback victories. So now I want to see what um, – you know, what Trey Ford can do in that same regard by the end of the year. It ain't going to happen now, but he could be that guy next year or the year after, but it's going to take some time. When are we going to see Gino back on the field? Do you think this week? Uh, yeah, I think he's been practicing fully and is eligible to come off to six games so they can get their cap benefit and get him out there. Perfect. Okay. Next up on the list, another kind of a surprise to Calgary Stampeders. Did they possibly yeah. jump the gun with Jake Mayer? Uh, by keeping him over Bo? By keeping him over Bo, signing him, and throwing him out there again this year after what they saw last year. Not at all. Like, not at all. I mean, what have we seen from Bo this year? Sorry, (laughs) but, like, you know, he was on pace to – he was on pace to probably set an interceptions record if he had continued at that pace. Look, and I like Bo, but um, they made a sound decision based on a year and a half of, of body of work. Mm-hmm. Right. So this wasn't just last year, but the year before when Bo was hurt and Jake had to come in, Jake did good things. And then he built on that last year. And you couple that with ineffectiveness by Bo final you know, quarter of the game against BC in the playoffs, notwithstanding, and, you know, and the injuries and the age and all of it. Right. Like, I think they absolutely made the right decision. And I'm not prepared to say Jake Mayer can't play. Jake Mayer's confidence is low. Um, the last game really concerned me. And not just from Jake's perspective, but from the coaching staff perspective, because I truly believe them when they tell me they're confident in him, but they didn't, they didn't call the game like they were confident in him. And I do think that they've got some other roster issues along the offensive line and in the receiving court that are getting a little bit exposed too. right? You've got guys that aren't necessarily able to consistently get separation. You know, Bryce Bell at offensive tackle kind of concerns me a little bit. Even Coker was getting penalties. Like, so they've got some problems up front where they can't, they don't think they can protect well enough to throw the ball down the field. And everyone's talking about them being too conservative, right? And they've also got guys that either can't consistently separate or aren't necessarily on the same page in terms of reading defenses with the quarterbacks in, ter- in terms of where and where they want to put, where and when they want to put the ball. So um, there are other issues there. The quarterbacks always wear, have to wear it. But last game was the first time where I actually saw stuff that concerns me just from a, collective confidence level of everybody where this team might maybe for the first time believes they are what their record says they are. And that 
is a concern. They've got to fix it quick because what you find with some of these organizations like Edmonton and, you know, even um, maybe Hamilton after last year and, and Sask after last year, it's very easy for losing to become contagious and cultural and not just a one-off. And then it becomes harder to overcome, right? So uh, I, I think Calgary's at a critical point where even if they, you know, they're not BC or, 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 or Winnipeg, but they need to they need to show that they can win some football games here. And, you know, the schedule for the next two games doesn't make that easy. No, not at all. When are we going to see Jalen Philpott finally hit the field? He's had injuries. And, yeah, no, he's, he's had... not going to play this year. Okay, no, yeah. That's what I was wondering because he was out all of camp last year. He's been out so far all this year. What is the census on Philpott right now? Well, I, you know, he, he had surgery and – uh, you know, I hope he. I think he's hoping that he can, you know, get to the point where he can practice and maybe be an option at the end of the year. But I think it's highly improbable that we see him uh, in regular season games. I, I might be wrong. You might see him in the last couple of weeks if they're do or die to get into the playoffs. But surprised if we saw him this year. But you know, both Jalen and Tyson, you know, they, they've had injury histories going back to college as well, right? And mm-hmm. I'm not saying they're injury prone, but I'm just saying that you know, it, it tends to be a lot of muscular stuff and you know, those nag you all season. And, you know, I'm glad that Tyson was able to get back on the field in Montreal, but, you know, he had to deal with it at the start of the year. And I still think both are incredible players and I, I'm, and I, I love them as people. And I, I just uh, fully believe that eventually they're going to be able to get past this and have a good solid long careers in this league because uh, they are starting level, all-star level players. And, and just hopefully they can stay healthy enough long enough to realize that. It's not all bad in Calgary, though, because uh, do you think that they have the scariest linebacker group in the league with Awe, Judge, and Wall? Uh, they're pretty good. They're pretty good. Um, but, you know, there, there's a few out there that are good. You know, I, I like Toronto's linebackers. I like BC's linebackers, uh, even Winnipeg, right? I mean, they've had some injuries that they've kind of had to work through uh, in that group, right? But, um, uh, yeah, they're, they're, look, they're as good as anybody. Uh, I'm not I'm not going to tell you they're the best, but they're in the conversation to be the best for sure. And do you think Calgary actually makes the playoffs this year? Yes. Yeah, I do think in the end, we're going to see enough from Jake uh, to uh, to see them edge Saskatchewan and get in. I, you know, I, I hope there's not a crossover this year just because it'd be nice for there to not be, you know, like I, I think it's good when there's three and three that get in. I, you know, I don't have any personal preferences on any of the teams, but I, do like Calgary's roster better than Saskatchewan's and I, I do like Jake Mayer better than anybody Saskatchewan's got a quarterback I people aren't going to like to hear that I mean look if it's close and Trevor Harris comes back at the end could Trevor get him in sure but I don't know that that's gonna I don't know that that's gonna happen I, I think it's um I yeah I, I think we're gonna see them do just enough to to get in and speaking of the Saskatchewan Rough Riders, they're up next. So they just made a move and they traded for Antonio Pipkin. What uh, what do you see Pipkin coming in and doing now with both Trevor Harris and now Mason Fine being injured? Probably nothing. Probably run short yardage. Uh, I think they'll <laughs> roll Dolagala out there. I know Shea Patterson's also dealing with an injury, but I would imagine within the next two weeks, Mason Fine comes back and then that becomes the options for the, the – uh, uh, for the Calgary Stampeders, um, or sorry, for the Saskatchewan Rough Riders, I don't think we're going to see um, um, Antonio Pipkin at all. 
Okay. They are kind of mid there. They're above Calgary, who is struggling right now. Do you see Saskatchewan being above or below expectations coming into the league at the moment? I mean, no one can see the big Trevor Harris injury coming. But Yeah, you know, that's, all... that's the hard part. You, yeah. You know, you can't – like, it's such a different team with Trevor Harris, right? Yeah. So it's it's difficult for me to say above or below expectations. I thought – I wasn't necessarily impressed with a lot of pieces uh, in Saskatchewan. Um, and I say that because – the areas they needed to improve, I'm not sure how much they improved them. Um, so they needed to get better along the offensive line. You know, they got Peter Godbird center, who I think is kind of okay, um, you know, having watched him play in BC. Uh, and I just didn't think coming into the year they were very good at receiver, right, especially when Keen Schaefer-Baker got hurt because I think I think he's exceptional, right? I think Braden Lenius has, has got tons of ability as well. But when Schaefer-Baker was hurt and then they got Lenius back and now he got hurt, you know, that's a real problem for that receiving core, right? I mean, they they added um, um, – why am I having a brain cramp? Um, from Edmonton, who they just released uh, – um, oh, shoot. Darrell they, Walker. Yeah. You know, they added him. But, you know, they added him late in free agency because nobody else wanted him, and they were paying him less than $100,000, right? Like, that's not a guy that should be, you know, a number one or an elite guy, right? So, you know, Jake Winnicky's a good ad, you know, when, when Harris is there. But – Winicky's not an elite number one receiver. He's a you know a, maybe a three or a two you know good three or an, an okay two. So when I looked at the pieces they had around them, you know Sean Bain has turned really turned out really well, and uh, Tevin Jones has turned out really well. You know I'm not sure I had huge. I, I think they probably have overachieved what my expectations were going into the year for those guys. But you know coming into it, I I wasn't sure what we were going to see at receiver there. I certainly had some concerns about what we were going to see at offensive line, because I think they were counting on health more than anything. But, you know, there there wasn't necessarily that proven, even American offensive tackle that they were able to get added, right? Mm-hmm. So, um, I, you know, I had some concerns about them coming in. So, uh, yeah, I mean, you know, they, they kind of are what I thought they'd be, although for different reasons. They, they've been, you know, they some of the receivers have been really good, but obviously the injury to Trevor Harris is, has played a big part. I think their record would be a little bit different if Harris was healthier. They have been saying that they're hoping to see Harris back towards the end of the year. Do you think they're being realistic or is that really just a hope and a prayer at this point? Well, I think when it first happened, that was realistic, but I do know that he did have some complications when, uh, when they first uh, treated it and dealt with the injury. Right. So mm-hmm. I think it was a little more, significant than they first thought so I think when they you know prior to going into the procedure uh, I think they were realistic but uh, you know might we see him for a couple games we might but I think um, it'll be tough and again a lot of it'll just depend on where they're at in the standings if Calgary and Saskatchewan just sit here and shuffle along at the end you know options like Trevor Harrison maybe a Jalen Philpott in the final two games if that's the difference it's going to make those might get explored but other than that it's going to be a stretch all right. Next up, the Winnipeg Blue Bombers. What is Zach Caleros' status right now versus Calgary this week after that injury? I think he, I think it's doubtful that he plays this week. I, I'm not going to say he's out, and I don't believe what he's dealing with is serious. We might find out today, you know, by the end of this, that he's good to go. I don't know, but it, it's going to be touch and go uh, for this week. But uh, he's not far away uh, either way. And um, you know, as good as Drew Brown looked, Zach Caleros is certainly the straw that stirs the drink, right? I mean, Drew Mm -hmm. is good. I think he's going to be a real good player in this league, but he was facing Edmonton and that defense is just all shades of bad. So, um, yeah. So I like, it's, it's hard to, 
put too much into that given who he was facing. Exactly. Um, what is, I guess, Kenny Lawler came out not too long ago and said that he's going to hit 2,000 yards. How realistic is that looking right now with how he's been his first couple starts? I just think he's missed too many games. Like, he's yeah. like he's been good. Uh, if he can pull that off with the number of games he's pl- going to be playing, I think that'd be incredible. But uh, I think it's a reach to think he's going to have that level of success and that people are going to stop paying attention. You know, he's going to see double coverage pretty quick here. And uh, if he hasn't already. So, I look, do I think he has 17, 1800 yards? I, yeah, I think it's plausible. But for him to get to 2,000, even the fact that he's missed a few games here, I think is a bit of a stretch. And I love his confidence. Uh, you know, Darrell Mitchell – uh, at the um, uh, at the starts, uh, or, or sorry, Dylan Mitchell for Edmonton said he was going to hit 2,000. I thought that was you know a big time reach given uh, what else was there uh, in terms of quarterback and offensive coordinator in Edmonton. This he's got great pieces around him, so it's not just him talking a lot of nonsense. But um, I, I think he's missed too many games for 2,000. And with those pieces, a lot of people have been saying, oh, Winnipeg Blue Bomber dynasty. And, of course, those conversations are always inevitable. But you have to look at the age of these players now. Coming out of this season into next season, how do you think the Bombers are – I know we're looking at this season right now, but for the Bombers, it's one of those things where they have a lot of aging veterans that this team could look completely different next year. Yeah, and we've been saying that for a while, and they always find a way, and they're always kind of a team that knows how to prepare and pace themselves and treat their bodies and manage loads and things of that nature. There is going to come a time where that happens, right? Like, Father Time is undefeated. And uh, and look, what they did to BC was certainly a, um, uh, an eyebrow raiser on you know, as far as what this team is capable of doing. And certainly that offense with Kenny Lawler in it is a lot better than what it was before. Uh, but what's good is I do think there are uh, three elite legitimate teams um, as opposed to before it was just Winnipeg and everybody chasing, right? You know, Toronto winning the Grey Cup last year, uh, they've been able to back that up this year, but nobody expected that, right? Because Winnipeg was perceived as being in their own category, whereas now there are three teams that are playing at that elite level, and I think that's good for the league. I, do I think BC can knock off Winnipeg in um, – uh, when they play in October, sure I do. You know, I, I think I think uh, BC is a good team, and I, I don't think the the gap between BC and Winnipeg is thirty six points, right? I don't think that's that's realistic. I, I think those two teams are are very good, and uh, each of them could beat the other, and uh, that's going to be such an important game. And I think Toronto's as good as any of them as well, right? So, uh, you know, I I do think Winnipeg's aging. I, I do, but like that means they've gone from a you know, maybe a 10 out of 10 to a 9 out of 10, right? It doesn't mean that they're bad. It doesn't mean that they're old, right? Aging doesn't mean they've fallen off a cliff. That hasn't happened yet. It will at one point, but that organization is pretty good that they'll find a way to mitigate those losses, right? That it'll be one to two players at a time that get turned over. It's not going to be like all of a sudden next year, you know, we're not going to see Willie Jefferson and Jackson Jeffcoat and Adam Big Hill and, and, um, uh, you know, uh, Stanley Bryant and uh, Yoshi Hardrick, right? Like, it's not like all five of those guys are going to be too old next year. Maybe one or two of them gets turned over and the other one can still, other ones can still play at a good level. And then, you know, the, and it'll, they'll work itself through and stay at a high level. But as Calgary's showing us this year, everybody at some point is vulnerable, but I think Winnipeg's cycle is still pretty good. And speaking of those BC Lions, 
arguably one of the most exciting teams to watch this year. Vernon Adams, he had that knee injury that kept him out for a bit. Is there anything to be concerned about long-term this season with Vernon Adams? No, I don't think so. I mean, I, I think he, he played the game well and played it with his arm and his legs and stayed consistent. And at the end of the game, I know he had that little tweak, but was able to go back in if needed. So I'm just heading to practice right now. So I'm, I'm interested to see how much he uh, how much he's doing in practice today. But uh, I, I don't think this is going to be a lingering thing. I think the brace is there more for psychological preservation than, than structural stability. And I think he'll probably take it off soon. Okay. Next up, uh, Dominic Rhymes. So there was a little bit of that kind of drama in the offseason. Um, he was on the podcast right after he, you know, did that whole trade request and then he ended up getting the contract. He's been kind of iffy this season. Is there anything uh, worrying about Dominic Rhymes health wise for the amount of time he's been missing? Yeah, he's hurt, right? And he's been playing hurt. So he didn't play this past game. Mm-hmm. He'll probably be out for a month. Uh, he's got a few different, you know, foot injury, like leg injuries, lower body injuries. There's, he's got, you know, injuries in both feet. He's got some, you know, wear and tear around his knees. Nothing that is, you know, surgery related, but it's like, there's a soreness there. There's some stuff there that he just needs to get right. He needs to get healthy. And, you know, we saw that with Keon Hatcher in training camp and, you know, they took a cautious approach with him. Whereas here with Rhymes, he sat out a few games and then come back in. Um, you know, they've had to go through this three times where he's kind of been in and out. So now they're kind of figuring that let's just give him an extended period of time and hopefully we can get him back fully healthy uh, a little bit later and for those bigger games against, you know, Winnipeg in October and things like that. Because when Dominic Grimes is 100%, he's as good a receiver as there is in this league. So I think they want to get him back to that because we've seen Rhymes and Whitehead, they haven't had the impact that they've had a year ago. And I think, um, you know, I, I think uh, Rhymes has certainly been dealing with some injuries along the way here. Yeah, last year, Rhymes, Whitehead, Hatcher, I mean, they all broke a 1,000. But it's nice this year, though, because BC still has depth at receiver. Uh, like, we look at Calgary, how we, you know, we saw Malik Henry go down, and then uh, Reggie Bagleton went down for a little bit, and then Calgary's receiving core was decimated. In BC, they still have Katoy, they still have other threats, McInnes, They've got lots of threats right now. So I don't really see there being a worry in BC. It was more of a health uh, reason that rhymes and what a lot of people are concerned about. Yeah, you're right. BC's got some depth. You know, last year it was Keon Hatcher that replaced a bunch of different guys in different spots at different times and had a thousand yard season. This year, Alex Hollins is that next guy, right? That, you know, he kind of got some sample size last year. You know, they really liked what they saw. You know, it's kind of like, um, Hatcher 2.0 in terms of his progression and timeline and deployment. And they haven't had that guy in Calgary, right? So they they need to, uh, you know, they've had to go back to the well and get Mark and Michelle and now Mark and Thambles and some of these guys because they just haven't been able to develop that next guy. Trey Adams Dukes has done, a, you know, kind of a good job for them. And um, uh, Tommy Lee, uh, Tommy Lee Jones, we keep calling him. Uh, <laughs> yeah. You know, they've got, they've, got, they've got some other, they've got some other guys that, uh, that have been able to, um, you know, help and contribute and do some things. But I think some of those guys might be a year away before they make a big time impact. They just, they haven't been able to make it go maybe as seamlessly as BC has the last couple of years. And with BC on the defensive side, Matthew Betts has been having a great year. Is that something that they saw in training camp or is this just a, wow, what's going on here? Well, um, 
it's continued from last year, really. You know, mm-hmm. I thought he had a very good season a year ago, and that was kind of the big eyebrow raise because the Lions signed him for very good starters money, and he hadn't done anything in two years in Edmonton. And so they took a bit of a leap of faith, and it worked, right? He had a really good year last year. Uh, they've given him even more opportunity, and he's doing well. Has he slowed down a bit the last couple of games? He has, but he's been getting a lot more attention than what he was earlier in the season. So I think he's going to get some sacks again soon, but you know, that record setting, I'm going to, you know, potentially break Cam Wake's record like that. That wasn't going to happen. You knew that would eventually uh, work itself uh, down a little bit, but I still think he's going to lead the league in sacks this year and is probably going to be the league's outstanding Canadian. I hope so. Him and Willie Jefferson are really going neck and neck on that sack race, which is great to see. We are now moving over to the East, the Toronto Argonauts. So we saw Chad Kelly go down with a bit of an injury against Calgary in that first half. Did that kind of show the inexperience in the QB room and moving forward? Was that something that they have to look at? Um, yeah, yes and no. I mean, I think every team's got to look at that for a period of time. You know, Cameron Dukes is somebody they, that they like. I, you know, I thought I saw a few good things from Dukes uh, when he was in. But, um, you know, Chad Kelly's your guy. And there's a lot of teams like that that just, you know, there's a drop-off, right? That's how it's going to be. There will be in Winnipeg if Drew Brown's playing somebody other than Edmonton. I mean, it won't be awful because he's been there a little bit of time. But every team is going through that, right? We don't have a lot of depth at the position. The fact that Ottawa's been able to get to number four before finding their best guy has been really, really impressive. Uh, But that's not the norm. So would there be a drop-off from Chad Kelly to Cameron Duke? Sure, but... Chad Kelly's pretty tough, and, you know, what'll be interesting for Toronto now is that they've got to have this bye, then they've got 10 straight weeks. So mm-hmm. it becomes really that much more difficult for them to um, to just be comfortable, uh, you know, with injuries and, and manage them conservatively. You know, sometimes you'll give a guy an extra week because, you know, a bye is coming up. So one week buys you two. It's going to be hard for, for them to do that. But I think they'll be fine. Do you see them going back to the Grey Cup again this year and representing the East? Yeah, for sure. I think there's a big gap there between them and Montreal. Um, you know, uh, Montreal can Montreal is clearly the number two team there, but I, I think the, there is a gap, and I, I would be shocked, barring a, a big spat, spat of injuries, that uh, it's going to be Toronto representing the East in the Grey Cup. And speaking of those Alouettes, the Cody Fajardo resurgence, what are you seeing out of Montreal this season? Uh, they're good, right? I mean, you know, they're they're good defensively, and I think that helps them as well, right? And they've been able to reestablish a run game that maybe hadn't been there previously. Uh, and quite frankly, a run game that maybe Jason Moss hadn't used as well in previous stops. He's really finding a way to take advantage of it. I think if you put Cody Fajardo in a position to throw the ball 40 times, I think that's not good for him. I think they've got to keep him in the mid to high 20s um, and, uh, and make sure the teams are keeping players closer to the line of scrimmage to defend – uh, some of the running backs that they've got in there, right? So it's it's a good group, and they've got some depth in the backfield, and that helps. So I, I like what they're doing in Montreal. You know, I like how they're playing defense. I like their defensive personnel, right? So, um, you know, they, they to me, you, you know, I did a, kind of my grades earlier a couple of weeks ago where I said, here's my tiers, and I had Montreal as my number four team in the, uh, you know, at the top of the second tier, and I think they're firmly there, right? The fourth best team in the league and the second-best team in the East. I agree with you. I have them up that high in my power rankings as well. Uh, you, you mentioned that Moss hasn't really used a lot of that run game as well as he could have before. Stanback, Fletcher, and Antwi, three, those three guys are doing a great job right now in the backfield, eh? 
Yeah, they are. And the depth matters and the depth allows you to stay healthy, right? It's not that it's just when one guy gets hurt, they've got another guy. It's you can spread out the carries and that affects your ability to um, to just keep everybody healthy. I know that we're dealing with standback earlier in the year on some things, but I think the way they're, they're set up now um, is a real positive for them. Next up, Hamilton Tiger Cats. Uh, coming into the league, there was a – or coming into the season, sorry, there was a ton of hype. Were they overhyped, or has this just been a really nasty injury derailed uh, situation in Hamilton? Yeah, I, probably a bit of both, right? And I say that because they spent a lot of money going for the Grey Cup and bringing in Bo. So uh, there was some hype around how they spent. But I remember, you know, a couple of years ago when they were first, they were favored to win the Grey Cup, you know, in 19 before Winnipeg surprised them in the Grey Cup and won that game. And when you look at that team, that felt like a dream team in terms of their roster construction and just the depth across the board. But when you look at how that team was built, um, receiver was a real concern when I looked at Hamilton coming into the year. First of all, you had to, you know, we had to see could Bo come back and bounce back and, and play at the high level that he did. People felt because of the playoff game that he still had that. I certainly was one of those, but there was also going to be adjustment to get used to uh, learning Tommy Condell's offense and some things just didn't work out there. But like the receiving core was Tim White and nobody, right? It was Duke Williams who hadn't really done anything of consequence in this league for two years. Um, and, you know, some Canadians that probably should be your fifth receiver and some of them were having to be elevated to, you know, number three spots in the lineup and some guys that just hadn't done enough to get. So when I look at them, I think they were overhyped. I think they had concerns in their secondary going into the year. And then once they, you know, they started dealing with injuries along the offensive line minute one and they weren't good enough there and it was a revolving door constantly. So that certainly doesn't set up uh, bowls for a lot of success as well, right? So uh, lots of concerns there going into the year. I, I do think they were overhyped just because you add Bo, you host the Grey Cup, and you spend a lot of money, and everyone assumes, okay, this is this team is they're here, they're ready. They weren't, and it, it's showing in their roster. And last but not least, in the East, the Ottawa Red Blacks. So we talked about the crumbacks. We talked about how he's kind of settling in. Uh, the last couple of games, he hasn't been moving as I guess last game he did move quite a bit, but there has kind of been an up and down in his running. Has he been told to limit that for safety reasons? Because he's not as much of a slider that a lot of other quarterbacks are. Yeah, I think they told him that you need to protect yourself, right? Like they don't want to get back into like Nick Arbuckle territory here, right? So they've got to keep him healthy for, for the rest of the year. Uh, but he, it's just kind of not in his makeup. I'm not even sure if he knows how. I, I truly believe that's also a skill you can you, you have to be taught a little bit, right? Like mm -hmm. the timing and the technique, because it kind of can be awkward sometimes to just crumple on turf. So I, I think for him, um, he look, the thing with Dustin Crum is, and I like I said, I loved what he did in the last game because he showed he could throw the football, right? He threw for almost 300 yards and sat in there and hung on a little bit longer and got to his third progression from time to time and got the ball out. And that's more encouraging than him running around and exciting people because that's how you play winning football. Right. It's a, and so what you found is, is that teams have said, OK, we're going to take the runaway. And they didn't. Toronto didn't necessarily spy him, but they kept players closer to the line of scrimmage. Right. And uh, even their defensive ends, you could tell they were, you know, they were keeping him kind of front and center. They weren't going to be as aggressive with the pass rush. Right. They still wound up with five sacks. But, you know, he's not he doesn't have the pure speed. You know, we talk about a guy like Trey Ford to just win games running the football. He needs to be able to have a bit of a blend in what he's doing. So to be honest, the fact that he threw the ball as well as he did last week is going to only open up his ability to run the ball again in future games. So I loved what I saw from Crum this past game because 
that style is going to lead to sustainable success as opposed to what he was doing before. Yeah, you know, the problem with, with Ottawa that shocked me, their secondary was just horrendous in the last game. And I thought they were better than that. I thought they played really, really poorly. I would, that's what I was just going to mention as well. And also Jalen Acklin and Shaq Evans. Acklin kind of broke his slump. Evans is out there now. So hopefully that adds some threats that he has with his arm. And as well, obviously, we know the Crumbs legs too. Yeah, you know, and they've also got to get healthy up front, right? Like they've been kind of bouncing some pieces around at, at guard and tackle in the last couple of games and that hasn't helped. But, you know, the one thing with Crum is he does take too many sacks, right? Like all the sacks that this team has racked up have been since he entered the lineup. So it's partly the line, but it's also partly the quarterback. So, you know, but look, he took a big step in terms of his ability to throw it this past game. So I'm sure he's going to continue to grow. And that's what, you know, like you can't expect to finish product with some of these guys, right? Whether you're talking about a Dustin Crum or Trey Ford or a a Taylor Powell or whoever these guys are that show us some things, it's going to take time because it's a tough league. It is, yes. I know that you are busy. you got to get to work and get out to that BC Lions uh, practice. So last question for you. I had uh, Naylor on at the beginning of the year, and we did Grey Cup predictions, even though it's early. So I'm now going to put you on the spot. Grey Cup prediction right now for uh, for this year. Uh, I'm going to pick BC and Toronto getting to the Grey Cup. Um, I just, I, you know, that, the, that October game being in BC – will help BC find a way through it. And if they can win that, that you know, and then host the West final, that's going to put them in the best position to uh, to move on. I think if that game has to get played in Winnipeg, BC is not winning it. So right now I think we'll see a, a slight changing of the garden uh, and BC and Toronto in a great cup, a rematch of the 83 great cup. I, that's exactly my pick as well. And I actually will be picking BC to win it. And then, of course, next year, the Grey Cup is in BC. So a lot of excitement around that as well. Farhan, thank you so much for joining us today. I know you're super busy. you got the BC camp now. You're off to Denver right away. Thank you so much. And, yeah, have a safe travels. And maybe we can chat again to, at the end of the year. Thanks, Anthony. Take care. That is it for us this week. You can find us, as always, on Instagram, X, and threads at Around the CFL. And you can also find our podcast anywhere you get your pods from. Apple, Amazon, Spotify, Pandora, Google, iHeart, and all of the others. Thank you for checking out this week's special edition episode. We'll be back on Thursday with the wrap-up of last week and the look-ahead to this week. Until then, we'll see you later.